Now it's time to take a sports break, a look at sports history on a daily basis. Hello, my friends of sports history. This is Darren. He's on the Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your place for all things great in sports history. And welcome to another sports break. This time it's for April 13th in sports history as we will talk about some of the great athletes and the events and great feats that they did on this date, April 13th through history. And anybody associated with April 13th in sports history, we will try to cover as many as we can. Go to some different places around the web, some of our favorite spots that will help us do that but before we do let's make sure you are aware of our newsletter you can get to know what's going on in the pig pen each and every day with our dispatch of sports history from the pig pen uh, each day of the year we deliver it right to your email inbox it's totally free you can cancel it anytime easy to sign up for go to the show notes of this podcast or the top of jerseydispatch.com or pigskindispatch.com and you can cancel it anytime but i don't think you will because you're going to see a lot of stuff come at you. Uh, we're, going to be, we're growing it each and every day uh, with more and more items. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. Now let's get to our April 13th sports history. We're going to dispatch some of that history for you right now. And we're going to start off in our website, jerseydispatch.com, with our daily digits that uh, we've been running for a few years, where we take the athletes and a great event or something special that happened to them, something monumental, and cover it along with their jersey number. It's telling sports history in a whole different way. So we'll start off in the year 1926 on April 13th in the game of baseball. And Walter Johnson, at the ripe old age of 38 then, hurled his seventh career opening day shutout of an opponent. Johnson pitched his entire career, 1907 through 1927, with the Washington Senators franchise, where he claimed two league most valuable player awards, three triple crowns, and helped the 1924 World Series victory for those Washington Senators. And he was a five-time winner of Major League Baseball's best ERA. Pretty good numbers there. April 13, 1954, how about a guy that wore number five? Hank Aaron. Yeah, Hank Aaron wore number five in 1954 as he played his first game as a member of the Milwaukee Braves. We soon know that he changed that number to the more familiar number 44. I think it was just a year after that. April 13, 1962, the St. Louis Cardinals great Stan Musial, wearing number six, sets another record as he scored his 1,869th run of his illustrious career, and that was tops in the National League back in 62. Now we're going to go to some of these sites that we love to go to and get some of this great history. And the NBA has their website, nba.com, offers uh, some really fantastic uh, footage and information from their league in basketball history at the professional ranks. In April 13, 1948, says NBA.com, the Baltimore Bullets, these are the original bullets that lasted all the way to 1954, not the ones that became the Washington Bullets later on. The initial franchise, remember. Well, that franchise had its greatest comeback in NBA Finals history. They overcame a 21-point halftime deficit and came back and defeated the host team, Philadelphia Warriors, by a score of 66-63 to in Game 2 of that NBA Finals. What a game that must have been to watch. 
April 13, 1957, the Boston Celtics claimed their first of 16 championships as number 15, Tom Henson, a 6'7 rookie forward, scored 37 points and grabbed 23 rebounds to help Boston defeat the St. Louis Hawks 125-123 in double overtime in Game 7 of those finals. Another great game to wish I could have been there to watch that. April 13, 1975, Larry McNeil, wearing number 31 jersey for the KC Omaha Kings, went 12 for 12 from the floor. The Hawk, as he was known in this performance of brilliance, set an NBA playoff record with the most field goals without a miss in a 102-95 victory over the Chicago Bulls in Game 2 of the Western Conference Semifinals. And finally, we go to another legend that's more modern day. April 13, 2016, Kobe Bryant, wearing number 24. Remember at the end of his career, he wore that 24, not the 8 he started his career with. And he retired in style, scoring 60 points in the Lakers' 101-96 victory over the Utah Jazz. The Lakers later on retired both number 8 and 24 in Kobe's honor, one of the very few people in sports that have two different numbers retired. Now, another site that we love to go to is VintageHockeyJerseys.com. They uh, have some tremendous history on the NHL and professional hockey in general, but mostly NHL. And we've grabbed a few items from their April 13th uh, little deluge they have there. In April 13, 1937, they tell us that backup minor league goalie Earl Robertson in just his fourth National Hockey League game recorded a shutout. And Hall of Fame center Marty Berry scored the only goal in the third period as the Red Wings won 1-0 over the visiting New York Rangers in Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Finals. This is what happened on April 13, 1939 on the ice. It was a big day for a pair of future Hockey Hall of Fame inductees. Rookie number 9, Roy Conacher, scored twice, and rookie goalie Frank Brimzek scored the first playoff shutout of his NHL career as the Bruins defeated the Maple Leafs 2-0 in Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Finals in Toronto. April 13, 1944, number 6, Toe Blake scored the game winner at 9-12 of overtime and added four assists during the game as the Montreal Canadiens defeated the Chicago Blackhawks 5-4 in Game 4 of the Finals to win the 1944 Stanley Cup. Their first title in 13 seasons, the victory ended their longest period without a championship. Then on April 13, 1952, the legendary number nine that we know, Gordie Howe, scored twice and added an assist in the Red Wings' 3-0 victory over the Montreal Canadiens in Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Another eventual Hockey Hall of Famer member, goaltender Terry Sawchuk, wearing number one on his sweater, recorded his fourth career playoff shutout to give Detroit a 3-0 lead in that final series. Another favorite stop on our tour through the each day of the year is April 13th on 80s baseball. Jay Daniel, the great author, has a great website there and he covers each and every day a little bit of some baseball and some things associated with 80s baseball uh, from the, the state. And he has some debuts and this time of year is really special and it's kind of interesting. We have three different debuts of some major leaguers on this day. First of all, April 13th, 1982, Joe Cowley 
allowed one hit in three and a third innings against the Cincinnati Reds in his big league debut. And uh, he ended up pitching in the big league for five years and threw a no-hitter in 1986, if you remember. Uh, April 13th, 1986. Well, Jay tells us that Kurt Stillwell went one for four with a single off Goose Gossage in his big league debut. That's pretty impressive, something to, to be very memorable when you have a you know great Hall of Famer like Goose Gossage and get a hit off him. April 13th, 1989, it was the debut of Derek Lilquist who allowed just one run over seven and a third innings to pick up the win against the San Diego Padres in his big league's first start, first ever showing walking out on the field of the baseball. That is something special too. So those guys, you know, congrats to, to all of them. Uh, Jay also tells us about some great big days, and I'm not going to ruin it for you. I want you to go over there, 80sbaseball.com forward slash April 13th, and check out those and birthdays associated with 1980s baseball players. Certainly a good time uh, every day, 80sbaseball.com. Now we'll go to our other website, Pigskin Dispatch, and we're going to talk a little bit of football history. And you're going to say, how could there be football history in the middle of April? Well, my friends, there's always football history, and we find it on Pigskin Dispatch. And we have a great story. It was the groundbreaking of the Philadelphia Scheib Park, home of the A's and the Phillies, but it was also home of the Philadelphia Eagles and the Phil Pitt Steagles as well. Scheib Park is often referred to as Connie Mack Stadium, named after the legendary player manager of the Philadelphia Athletics from 1901 to 1950. And remember, in 1902, Connie Mack had the Philadelphia Athletics professional football team that played in the original NFL. You can read more about the original NFL on pigskindispatch.com. I think you'll enjoy that one. And from 1940 to 1948, according to the article on phillycurb.com, the Eagles called Scheib Park a steel and concrete stadium that sat 40,000 people, their home venue. It was a French Renaissance-style stadium, and uh, in 1948, it was the host of the NFL championship game during a blizzard where those Philadelphia Eagles hosted and defeated the Chicago Cardinals to claim the National Football League title. So, Shy Park, very important, not only to baseball, but to football as well. We also, every day, we try to recognize the Hall of Famers, both from the College Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and we celebrate the birthdays of these Hall of Famers. And we're going to go way back on this one, April 13th, 1897, in Collarville, Virginia, the Virginia Military Institute's VMI standout halfback from 1917, 1919, and 1920, Jimmy Leach was born. Now, Leach left school for a year in 1918 to join the Marines and fight in World War I, serving his country. We thank him for that, and all veterans uh, that do go spend time away from their family put themselves in danger to protect freedom. We thank all of you for that. And the National Football Foundation uh, really has a great biography on Leach. Uh, we have a link to it on Pigskin Dispatch and uh, the story. And uh, you know, he got turned into the College Football Hall of Fame and inducted in 1956. So he's one of the earliest to go into the College Football Hall of Fame. 
April 13, 1918, we find another man that got into the College Football Hall of Fame. He was born in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. He was a Minnesota Golden Gopher halfback from 1932 to 1934. Francis Pug Lund. They called him Pug. Uh, Lund is described as a well-rounded back by his bio on the National Football Foundation's website. And he was a very efficient runner, but also liked to dish out some bone-crushing and jarring blocks, which made him famous on there. We have a great long write-up on Pug. You can find that on pigskindispatch.com for the April 13th day. And the National Football Foundation put Pug Lund into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1958. Another early entrance there. And uh, that is your sports history for this April 13th. We are so glad that you were able to join us. We hope you join us each and every day for some more great sports history. As we take these little sports breaks, take a little bit of time away for yourself and enjoy the, the great sports history and relive some of these great athletes, great feats, and great memories that uh, have really made sports the special games that they are. And we, we thank uh, VintageJerseys.com, 80sBaseball.com, NBA.com, and everybody else, National Football Foundation, uh, and everyone that we've got the information from is they are an inspiration and give us information on these great heroes that we can share with you each and every day. So till next time, everybody, have a great sports history day. We're dribbling around and see the shot clock's almost out, so we got to put up our shot and come back tomorrow for some more great sports history. We invite you to check out our websites, jerseydispatch.com and pigskindispatch.com. Not only see the daily sports history, but to experience the preservation of great events and people that play the games. Find us on Pigskin Dispatch. It's also on social media outlets of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all your daily sports history. Pigskin Dispatch is happy to be associated with the Sports History Network, the sports headquarters of yesteryear, found at sportshistorynetwork.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.